All right. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, I've been seeing your work and hearing about you for several years. My agents and casting directors have been like, Muller's the guy. And we just had a session, so I'm grateful to follow up and talk to you now, you know? Get a, get a little audio to go with the visuals. Well, thank you. I'm honored to, uh, to be here and glad, yeah. glad to talk to you. Yeah, so the it's just a simple conversation, but there is one official question that starts a podcast off, okay. and it's a little bit of a curveball. But uh, it is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? When I was seven years old, oh man, playing the kick the can. Oh, old yeah. school. Yeah, oh, real old school. Yeah. Um, That's almost 40 years ago for me. Uh, no, you've aged very well. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I grew up in an apartment complex and like, you know, high rise buildings. And so I, I, all the other kids I played with, that was like our main game. Well, we would play baseball a lot on the, on the tennis courts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then <laughs> we would play kick the can. That was our biggest. Is that, that how do you play game. kick the can? I've like heard about so it. So everybody would hide. One person would be protecting the can. It's kind of like jailbreak essentially. Okay, yeah. And so you, you know, you'd look for somebody and then if you saw somebody you had to go over, touch the can and the way we did it was you have to go tap 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 i see michael hiding behind the blue car yeah. and if you could say that that they'd, they'd come they'd be in jail uh -huh. and then if someone could come and kick the can it released all the prisoners who oh, were cool. sitting there in jail so yeah. it's essentially jailbreak yeah uh where, where where were you playing this game where were you living uh, i grew up in new jersey south new jersey, jersey. Yeah. okay yeah so kind of tri-city area close to manhattan yeah about an hour and a half uh from yeah. new york area yeah cool. like closer to philadelphia actually but I mean, that's, I mean, I grew up, I was an only child for my younger years, my formative years, and I grew up in a neighborhood full of old people. So it was just me alone in the, I had a creek behind my house, which was great because it was just like, I was like a lost boy running around the woods. <laughs> but I always watched movies and they'd be like the neighborhood kids or like, I always envied that. So it sounds like you had, you know, all these people in your building who just kind of banded together. Well, it's interesting. I was an only child as well. Okay. Uh, and... Um, I just there there just happened to be it was three high rise buildings and so a lot of us walked to school together because we yeah. were a local school and we were walkers uh, and uh, you were either walker or you rode the bus so you know got to know several of the kids and we just play after school and stuff and yeah uh, but yeah were you a, a visual kid growing up like I always had an eye not necessarily a good eye but I was always like interested in the visual aspect of whatever I was doing from sports to anything I was like. I was like very design oriented. Um, I'm not sure if I was super visual. I, I, I mean, I consider myself a visual person now, but thinking back on it, I was very, I was very athletic and physical and, yeah. you know, into sports and yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, so the reason that question starts off the podcast is there's this old ancient maxim that's attributed to a bunch of different philosophers, but it's, uh, give me the boy at seven and I'll show you the man. Oh, so wow. it implies that, by the time you're seven, your combination of nature and nurture has basically set you up to be the person you're going to become. Mm -hmm. So through the podcast, I think it's fun. A, I think that question throws people off and they like, they're, it's not what they're expecting. So right. it just gets us into the conversation. But B, I like to try to find the connections between the person that's sitting in front of me now and then their perception of who they were at seven and see if I can find little like... Um, ties back to that person yeah it's interesting because i have i have two boys i have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old yeah right in that range oh, right there yeah and yesterday i was trying to find some stuff to do with them i'm like hey i want to teach you guys how to play kick the can oh wow and so that's probably why that's fresh in my mind i yeah. uh 
I, I spent a ton of time watching television because as an only child, yep, and my too. mom worked, so I rarely had like even a babysitter. I'd come home alone and latchkey kid, latchkey kid, exactly. And uh, if I wasn't out playing with my friends, I was just home, you know, watching television. Yeah, or playing yeah. like, uh, you know, what was it? Uh, Atari. Yeah, the old school. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it sounds like you got that like a solid socialization foundation as a young kid, I, despite being an only child, which I think people, you know, a lot of my friends are having kids and they're like, we're going to have one or two. And like, I always tell them like only children come with like some issues they have to work through, like selfishness <laughs> yeah. and like, cause you're the special one. You're like, all the presents are for you. You're the only one who celebrates the birthday. You don't have to share. You have your own room. And, uh, I think I've dealt with a lot of that stuff well, Living in a fraternity helped because it got like beaten out of me. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you had a good balance between. Yeah. When I look at my life as an older person, I go, I do wish I had more sort of socialization, more brothers and sisters or like even a bigger yeah. family, you know, that I was that I was closer to because I was somewhat isolated in that yeah. way. Um, and I do actually have a half sister, but she wasn't born until I was almost 30 and she lives on the other coast. So yeah, I have a half sister who was born when I was 13. Yeah. So, so we kind of grew up separately and now we're close and right, same, it's the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of asked that question because you deal with a lot of personalities in this studio. We're in your awesome studio right now. Um, but like, you know, the guy who was leaving is he's a certain type. I come right. in, I'm a certain type. I'm sure you have, you know, young ingenue female models. You have the older set so it takes a special kind of person to be able to just take whatever walks through the door and you know you're very easy to work with you you know, honed your craft obviously but what's it like dealing with all these different people and like you know you're not in control of who books with you necessarily so yeah that's true um I consider myself a pretty easygoing person. I'm yeah. a bit of a pleaser. I like, you know, people to be happy. So I'm never like trying to be super in control yeah. of, of anything or anybody. I think a lot of photographers can be that way. You know, they have a specific vision. This is what I want. Whereas I'm like, what do you want? How do you, you know, right. how do you want to work? Not how do you want to work? I have a specific way of working, but I can kind of flow with most personalities. I mean, obviously yeah. there's a spectrum to everything and there's going to be somebody who's going to be a pain in the ass yeah. or whatever. And yeah. Uh, I have a limit, but for the most part, I work well with a lot of people and, and I'm only dealing with them, you know, for two, three hours tops, right? You know, thin so slices of a person. Yeah. Yeah. And people are also, they're also coming in and they're a little nervous, you know, mm -hmm. they, 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 there's a lot riding on their session. And well, some people, this could be their first headshot session ever. Yeah. It could be their hundredth, you know, they could have been multi-decade career people for sure. Um, I'm sort of. You know, I'm approaching a decade in the industry, so I, you know, I've done a lot of, I've done headshot updates pretty much every year, if not more than that, um, throughout while I've been in this industry. And I know what I'm looking for, but I'm also, you know, I know when I see your images, you have this style that I'm like, I want to see what he, you know, he brings to the table and we can kind of collaborate. And obviously I show up with the wardrobe. I booked a, what, a three look session with you or five look session with you. And then we had some layering options. So I'm coming in with my ideas and then you have your style and we kind of meet in the middle. How do you interpret, because you don't really have much communication with the client beforehand, how do you interpret what they're going for? Is it based on what they bring? Is it based on their energy? What are their careers at? 
you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's a bit of a combination of all those things. Some people come in, they have no idea. Like I literally had a guy a few weeks ago that showed up and he's like, um, do you supply the clothes? And I was like, <laughs> Oh, you're asking this now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he literally had like one or two shirts and I was like, Oh, I have a few things here, but n- nothing great. It's just kind of like backup options. Um, you know, or I have people that come in with like printouts. I talked yeah. over my agent, I showed my agent pictures. I got this. So again, I kind of go with the flow and, mm-hmm. you know, can work with anybody in that regard. Um, did I forget the question? <laughs> just like, like, how do you kind of, cause you're saying you like to see what people, what they want, not, you're not just prescribing right. your style upon them. Right. So I'm just curious how you pick up like what their vibe or what they're trying to bring to the table is. I think there's generally nowadays, you know, people come in with a lot of the same types. Mm-hmm. In other words, I need a girl next door. I need a nerdy type. I need a mean girl. Yeah. I need an edgy. Yeah. You know, I need a going out sexy. Exactly. So there's a lot of repetition in that respect where I'm shooting a lot of the same types that people generally need. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, obviously the wardrobe is going to have a lot to do with it's gonna inform how it, yeah. that's going to inform it, the backgrounds that I choose, right? You know, because I I have a very sort of structured setup. I have a lot of options mm-hmm. in my setup, but you know, I do shoot in studio. Kind of, you know, people are standing in the same spot most of the time, and I'm yeah. doing different things behind them. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's just a go with the flow, and I'm sure you kind of, as you've progressed in your career, you you know the tranches that people come in, like this. If it's a girl, if it's a young, pretty girl, you're not going to shoot blue collar necessarily. Like you can, you can maybe stretch it a little bit, but there's certain categories people are going to fall into and based on the wardrobe they bring, you're going to. Yeah. And I'm going to follow, I follow their lead with the ideas they come in with. So I'm never the type to be like, well, I think really this is what's going to work for you. I'm like, you should have, you know, you should kind of know who you are and what you're going to play or what you hope to play hopefully discussed it with reps that you have right. you know i don't think it's my job to to be like i see yeah. this in you and this yeah. is the way you should go because i'm not repping you for the rest of your career yeah. you know what i mean so and they might have been told like you know you're booking all these rules in this category but we really want to try to push you towards this and they might come in and just want one look from you yeah that's like and like you're like okay i'll, I'll make it work exactly yeah and um would you classify yourself as like commercial headshot photographer theatrical everything in between lifestyle like do you do editorial is it across the board so i first and foremost i consider myself a headshot photographer for actors um it's funny how i think it's funny how people's perceptions can be different i consider myself both theatrical and commercial i've really tried to get the gamut and be able to offer you know everything and you know comedy and stuff like that as well but it's funny because some people will come in and be like oh you know I just, I think you're such a great, you know, and they'll, they'll be specific theatrical or commercial. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I've even had some people be like, I've come to you for commercial and I'm going here for theatrical or vice versa. Yeah. So a lot of it, you know, it's interesting what other people's perceptions are. I personally feel like, uh, you know, I've gotten well-rounded and do it all yeah, uh, sort of well in that, in that. Regard. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, on my side of things, like no one, there's no clear cut rules. There's, we don't take a class on like what your theatrical headshots look like versus your commercial headshots. It commercial is generally smilier, more teeth, warmer, and then theatrical is more closed mouth, uh, very subtle expressions. You mm-hmm. know, it's more just in the eyes. Um, so how like how do you reframe a shoot for theatrical versus commercial? 
because for my own edification. Sure. Well, part of it, you know, like I said before, is going to be uh, I'm going to choose different backgrounds for different things. Obviously, yeah. I have like, you know, right now I just shot a, a, a lavender background. That's mm-hmm. going to definitely read commercial. Yeah. That's that's typically not going to read very theatrical just because it's a bright poppy color. Yeah, it's a very like picture a commercial in your head for yeah. whatever X brand. So I'm going to choose more sort of neutral uh things or maybe something with a more out of focus cinematic you know where the Mm -hmm. background is really out of focus for a more theatrical vibe yeah whereas for commercial i want the background everything to have a brighter sort of more lifestyle like you mentioned uh vibe to it almost like not it's like it's comic in that it's like very cut out very like sharp whereas in like you're saying the cinematic background with the lens flare and like more of a haze like a a mood to it it looks like it's could be a still out of you know yeah exactly Uh, and then and then on top of that obviously expressions you know when someone's doing a commercial or comedy i'm going to encourage them to be quirky raise eyebrows shrug your shoulders you know these Mm kind of like use these little thoughts like you know who me or you know just these ideas whereas you know for theatrical i'm going to get that little squint in the eyes yeah you mentioned that to me when we were shooting and talking about how would you call it like tightening your eyes squinch squinch which is which was coined by another headshot guy in new york peter hurley okay uh, but it works really well which is why i've incorporated yeah. it yeah <laughs> it's doing just it right a little <laughs> little bottom lid up uh, it's like I, I call it the clint eastwood you know it's just yeah that. but you got to be careful not to go too far to do the, sure. like the like middle brow up sort of like early yeah. justin bieber like i'm um, like i'm trying so hard to be a model blue right steel there. yeah blue steel yeah exactly. for sure and i tell everyone you know relax everything else just yeah. put the pinch in the you know in the bottom yeah. right there and it's those little tricks like just look down look up fresh in your eyes like yeah. these little things that seem so simple and you're like why do i have to do but they work so well and i don't know what it is about them that like but that squint, like it just adds a little intensity, a little mystery, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And I use, I like to incorporate a little bit of a smirk as well. Very, mm-hmm. very subtle just because it gives a thought behind the eyes. And I think that's the biggest thing. When I was a young actor and I would have my headshots done, I was so focused on Zoolandering and yeah. like looking. Oh, my early headshots you know, are atrocious. Looking modelly. <laughs> yeah. That my eyes were dead. Like when I go back and look at my headshot, I'm like, God, my eyes were dead. Like I wouldn't yeah. call me in either. And yeah. so I'm trying to get, you know, something from people where they don't look dead in the eyes because yeah. a lot of people not a lot but like definitely a good amount of people that can do that and just that little squinch and that little smirk can yeah. just help go oh there's a thought behind the eyes so when a casting director sees it they see something that they want to bring in it's funny because you know i look at my yearbook photos from when i was a kid you know <laughs> you're so awkward and they like put, the someone puts a camera in your face before cameras were ubiquitous and um it looks like i'm just like using the muscles to smile there is like right. there's no smile i'm not happy i'm i hate this i'm t- like maybe i'm out of class which is a good thing but like i'm just thinking about how awkward i am and it just shows yeah and i remember when we take family photos my mom and a person would be like three two one and my mom would go <laughs> and smile with a laugh and I, I, it would drive me nuts i was like why are you laughing it's so weird <laughs> and i've actually caught my little sister because I do that now because I'm forcing a genuine laugh to create a genuine smile to have like a, I'm thinking of something funny. I'm thinking of a thought yeah. and that produces a real smile with like that glint in the eye. But I don't think a lot of people know that trick of the thought. Like you have to have the real thought, the real emotion to produce a genuine um, facial expression. And it's, it's a, it's tricky to learn, but once you do it, like, <laughs> and then like your eyes brighten up and it's, night and day yeah it's just a little physiological sort of you know give yourself a little 
yeah. trigger and it can bring out the real thing. Yeah. I had an acting teacher that taught that if you just started going, ha, ha, and like, and it would, you know, turn Yeah, into you start to actually laugh. It's like, yeah. let's, there's a comedian podcast that I love, Pete Holmes, where he does this thing at the end where he's like, let's fake laugh until we start real laughing. And yeah. so you're like, ha, 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 and then everyone breaks yeah. and they start just losing it. And that my last um, two episodes ago with my new agent, Rick Ferrari, he was talking about how if you want to get a really genuine expression, like do a Zoolander, do something that's so outlandish that you feel ridiculous and you'll break and then you catch that moment of that right. break. Yeah. And I had done a, a commercial for a like a dental brand and they that, that's exactly what they wanted in this video is like us like just mugging to camera and then like you, ought, you, you can't help but make fun of yourself and then you catch that like beautiful, bright, beaming smile. And he was like, oh, that's such great art direction. Way right. to go. Way to go dental brand. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So what do you do to create your own like photographic? What do you what do you gravitate towards when you're not in your studio when you're not like client? Do you separate photography for yourself from for work or do you go home and you're like get a camera out of my face? Pretty much the latter. Yeah. Uh, it's like yeah. chefs. They're like, I don't want to cook. <laughs> it, it, it's a bit of that. I do enjoy shooting from time to time, but I have to kind of be excited to shoot about something to shoot it in my off time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I've, I, I've been very fortunate. You know, I shoot Monday through Friday. I shoot three, four people a day. So I'm shooting like 15, 16 people a week. So when the weekend comes, yeah. again, unless it's something that I really am inspired to shoot, I'm kind of like, I'll eh. be with her boys and just like, <laughs> exactly. keep, yeah, yeah. keep the lens out of my face. It makes sense. I mean, there's an interesting thing about because I studied fine art and I'm a very creative person and I have all these weird little projects I get into, these weird little art series I'll start making. I'll share them on Instagram or I'll make a blog or whatever. And people are like, these are great. You should start selling them. And as soon as I try to monetize it, I lose interest. Oh, wow. And I like I'll shut down because it becomes almost like like it cheapens it. It's mm -hmm. not something I want to do just for me. It's something that um, it's, you know, it's a what is it occupation versus vocation right you know it's no longer just this like purely expressive thing it's like kind of feels like you're selling out a little bit um so i totally get that that you're like you go home and you're like that's my world that's my professional world and then you well know. it goes i think it goes from being just creative and doing what you want to do to now having to think how are the people going to respond to this so that I can monetize it? And so yeah. you start putting yourself in a box without even yeah. realizing it. And that takes your motivation away. Yeah. And I mean, it, it kind of applies the same way to like an acting career. I mean, I, I always had an inclination to be in front of the camera. Like I didn't know why I was in St. Louis. I had no, no ties to this world, but it's not, it's not I wasn't like a showy kid. I wasn't putting on productions. I was drawing, I was being very visual and, uh, creative in that way so I can be on set all day and like you know be drained of that muscle when I get home but it leaves something in the tank for my other creative pursuits you know mm. so it 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 this the it's balance feed, it's feeding you yeah it's feeding me while not like wasting my energy yeah. that I have um for whatever my personal projects are and I think it's important to maintain some you know there was a Instagram quote going around that's like people forgot how to have hobbies because everything's side hustles everything's like part-time everything's like you know my blog has to get you know affiliate promotions and all this stuff it's like just have a hobby it's okay to go yeah. do something that doesn't make you money and it's it's even more pure and satisfying if you can do that without having to show everybody that you're doing it yeah, yeah. and like yeah, you know, I well, I lived abroad after I graduated college, and I always had, I was when I first got into photography, and I had my first DSLR, and I loved taking photos and sharing them, 
And then like Instagram came around and everyone was taking really good photos because they were learning through osmosis how to create beautiful compositions. But it was so disposable that I like shot, I got, I recoiled from photography a little bit because it became not special anymore. It wasn't like my thing. I have almost the same experience. When I started learning photography, you know, digital had just started, I'd say. I was, it was like 2006. Yeah. Um, and I was really intrigued by learning how to light and, you know, just learning all the ins and outs of photography and lighting and exposure and uh, color temperature and all these things. And it, I, I saw it happening. It was just very quickly people were just becoming good at Photoshop. And so you could take any crappy image yeah. and now all of a sudden, you know, if you're, uh, a graphic designer or whatever, yeah. you know, all of a sudden you're making, and, and it, it took the inspiration away from me to, to a large degree to wanting to do this because I felt like it's so accessible yeah. to anyone that it's not interesting to me. And it's not any, special. Except you don't feel like you're doing something that, right. you know, especially with like Instagram filters and like, totally, you know, Adobe Lightroom presets, like LUTs or whatever they're called. Right. Like it used to take skill and now it just takes clicking buttons. Yeah. And it's, it, it almost like, you know, you go to a museum and you see a work of art and you're encouraged to consider it and to like look at it and, you know, see what the intention was and the the craft behind it, whether it's a painting, the brushstrokes, the, the technique with, with, with which they applied the paint to the canvas. And then it became this like this thing where people were on Instagram making really cool, interesting photos and you scroll through it with a flick of a thumb and it's just like, cool, got it, got it, got it, got it. And so I had this series called what was it? Oil of Instagram, where I, I found these little two by two canvases mm -hmm. and that was back when everyone had the iPhone five and below. So it was all square photos and it was the exact size of an Instagram image on an iPhone screen. So I would take people's Instagram photos that I thought were interesting, whether it was some beautiful landscape or like a Kanye West tour schedule. And I would turn them into oil paintings on this canvas because oil painting takes forever. It's not just a snap and it's not just a filter application. It's layer and layer, letting them dry and then, you know, thinning out the paints and all that stuff. So it's almost forcing people to say, hey, look at this. Like, think about think about how much work went into this image. And now, because it's an oil painting, maybe you'll like look at it a little bit longer. And um, that was one of my fun things that I tried to monetize and then stopped caring about. Right. I was yeah. going to say, sounds like you should be getting into NFTs. <laughs> I should be. I, I have a long story with crypto, but I'm, I'm out of the game right now. Okay. Um, but people, it's wild. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with crypto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this world of headshots, like there's obviously trends that develop and like, it's you, you update your photos every year because you're, you physically change, but also what's in demand changes. Yeah. Um, are you tracking that? Are you, do you feel like you're just at the forefront of it and people are following your lead? How does that work? I think that I think that there are small changes that are that are happening but the the bigger changes sort of happened I think when things went from being shot on film to being shot on digital. Yeah. Digital made for you know the ability to create so much more content, right? So instead of having like a theatrical headshot and a commercial headshot, mm -hmm. now it's like give us every possible look that you can come up with. Yeah. 
uh, and, you know, have 20 pictures on your casting profile and show us what you look like as a business person and yeah. you know, this and this and this. But you could have like severe business person, smiley business person, right. like casual, neutral business, business, guy, business person, yeah. mid-level yeah, because, office worker. Yeah. So you know, we just, did a session. I had 535 photos out of it, you yeah. know? So it's like <laughs> a lot of options. <laughs> you know, some of the, you know, there was, there was always a lot of rules in headshots back in the day with films. Like don't, you know, don't wear this, don't wear that. And now it's like, I have people coming in and their agents who are, you know, top agents are telling them wear a graphic t-shirt, you know, with yeah. like the Rolling Stones on it. And it's like, never would that have ever been a Mm-mm. thing in the past. But, you know, now, now you're in a sea of thumbnails and you need to stand out. And so it's like any, anything to stand out. So I think those are the main changes. And then within that, every agent's got their different, you know, some will be like, we don't want solid backgrounds or we don't want the light flare or yeah. whatever, but that's, that's more of a, you know, subjective, yeah. what certain agents like and don't like. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it's gotten to a point where a lot more is acceptable now. And so mm-hmm. the trend is kind of try it and see if it works. There's, you know, the rules are, are minimal now. Yeah. And I think that, that, ties into just the culture at large where sure. unique is in like bring who are you what what do you have that's different and like that's what's hot How right can now you stand out so it's like you can't put anyone in a box because you know then they're boring they're passe they're that's the old way yeah and now it's like you know people no one's fixing their gap teeth no one's trying to dye their hair to fit the cookie cutter mold of blonde tall blue-eyed it's like no, like the the weirder, the better. Yeah, they want, you know, if you watch commercials, I mean, back in the day when, you know, in the 90s when I was doing commercials, it was like, it was all just good looking people on yeah. TV. And yeah. now they want real people, you mm-hmm. know, real types, every ethnicity. And that's great. It's, you know, in- inclusion is very important. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's again, like you said, be yourself. Don't put yourself in a box. Show how you can stand out. Yeah. So you have a background in acting commercials, that kind of, that world. Yeah. Yeah, I started doing that when I was, well, it's interesting. My mom had me kind of doing it when I was like a kid, like really? five, six years old. Uh, but it was it was a little too much because she had to trek me from Jersey to New York and it yeah. was a lot with her schedule. So that didn't last very long. But then I got back into it when I turned uh, around 21 mm-hmm. and was, you know, doing that myself. And, you know, had had a few years of working pretty well in New York and eventually made my way to L.A. Yeah. And uh, was pursuing it out here. Did plenty of commercials, a lot of print work. Did a couple like TV gigs and a few like little indie stuff. But when I transitioned into photography, I was kind of juggling both, doing both things for a while. And then photography just got to the point where I was busy enough that auditioning became like, you know, a hassle. And and it was photography was just obviously the more open door for me. And you said you started getting into photography around 2006. Yeah. And so that's when you started kind of shooting headshots while balancing acting. I knew that I wanted to do headshots and I, I, I originally I wanted to do it just as a side hustle, you know, to yeah. kind of supplement Fill my the acting and sure. exactly. I, I was like, I can make my own schedule, but I, I co-produced a film with a few friends in Oregon. And while I was on the set, I had just taken my first photography course and, uh, the DP on the set, let me use his DSLR, which mm-hmm. is brand new because I only had a film camera and DSLRs right. were new. I mean, digital. Um, and so he was like, yeah, mess around with it. And so I started doing all the behind the scenes. Uh, and the director 
at the end was like, these are the best behind the scenes photos we've ever seen, yeah. whatever. And so I was encouraged, <laughs> wow, came so, home, yeah. got my own digital gear together and uh, started shooting friends out of a friend's garage. Yeah. And it's an expensive habit. That's where it's photography. Started. Yeah. It's uh, it adds up. And, but you also kind of made a wise transition because end of, you know, the early two thousands, the aughts or whatever those years are called, you know, it used to be if you were in a commercial, all commercials were on TV, mm-hmm. you know, new media wasn't a thing. The Internet wasn't what it is now. Um, if you mostly SAG nationals, if you booked a commercial, you're clearing five figures minimum and like maybe more, maybe six figures for a big campaign. Not so much anymore. Right. <laughs> so maybe smart move on your part. And I was just having coffee with Angel Lynn, who was guest on the podcast a few episodes ago. And we were talking about how like you know, this middle class of actor from commercial to theatrical is kind of falling apart where it's you have your Marvel superheroes and you have your indie people, but there's like the the working man journeyman actor is not making the same living that they once were. Yeah, I feel like the people that I talk to that I shoot that are really working commercially that are surviving mm-hmm. as commercial actors have to do like 12 commercials a year to survive oh 12 yeah more yeah, than 12 that. 12 or more yeah yeah i like, mean i'm in i'm in a world where i do maybe 50 50 split print and commercial okay but my goal is to be booked every week minimum you know you know i want one or two shoots a week and that's you know print day rates versus non-union commercials with buyouts versus you know with the occasional sag like mailbox money job that's like okay that covered me for months right um but yeah it's it's more of a hustle for sure and i was telling one of my exes moved out here in 2009 and like went to a commercial audition for fun and booked it and her agency and then she became like an it girl in the commercial world mm. but they were turning down jobs for less than 40k because wow. it just wasn't worth their time and i'm like wait what <laughs> So that's, and it, it, it's the same with the film industry. You know, you have your Marvel movies for $300 million and you have your little indie movies, but the $10 million movie doesn't really exist anymore. It's it's one of its tent poles or like scrappy crowdfunded camp, you know, jobs like that. So the middle class is falling apart. It's tough. The industry has narrowed for sure. And, yeah. and you have celebrities doing television gigs now. Oh yeah, you know that I mean? used to be. I mean, celebrities on TV shows, one thing, but celebrities doing commercials, you know, I'm going up against famous people in these, like the Hyundai commercial. It's like, fuck, how am I going to survive? But there, there is a, there is a road where if you, you, if you're committed, which is a good thing and a bad thing because it takes a lot of hustle, but it also weeds out a lot of people who think this is going to be an easy road. Mm. Uh, it's not as, as you, I'm sure know, um, and I mean, just LA is an expensive city in general, no matter what career you've taken, um, you got to pay that rent for sure. Um, but I'm curious when someone comes in here and maybe they're new and they're uncomfortable, not because of you, just because this is a new world for them. What do you do to put them at ease and like, you know, have them give their best self, portray those genuine emotions as, as opposed to something that's more like stock smile. I, I try honestly to just converse with them. Um, I, I usually start out when I can tell someone's nervous or mm-hmm. a lot of people even tell me straight up that, you yeah. know, like this is my first time or I'm nervous. And I kind of just put them at ease. I go, everyone comes in nervous. I, when I have my headshots done, I'm nervous. So mm-hmm. like I get it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to make it easy. And then, yeah, once we start shooting, cause I have a whole like explanation that I go through with people and then I just try to converse and I really do try to keep it simple. I've found that when, you know, you're working too hard. 
people just get in their head and I would rather them be a little more in their body than, than in their head. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I really do just try to keep it as simple as possible. That seems to be the key for me. And I think being upfront and saying I'm nervous is a really good first step in terms of getting rid of that because like trying to impress you as the photographer by pretending you're not nervous is not helping anyone's cause. Right. You're like, why is this off? They're like, I'm not getting what I want. I wish I could just open up. So just take, like say, I'm nervous. I've never done this before. Or like, you know, I, I did one of my first theatrical sessions with a photographer I've worked with commercially. And I told her, I was like, I don't really know how to shoot theatrical. And so she kind of gave me some tips and helped me get there. And then I was like, can we try some like black and white kind of like shirtless, more like editorial pouty face? And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And she's like, well, you're doing it. And I was like, okay, good. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But be open about it. And no one, I mean, they're paying you. So like they're not on some set where they're, you know, they've gotten a job they probably weren't prepared for. It's different if you, you know, if you're paying for photos, like give them all the information they need to help you be your best self. Yeah. Um, I think that's huge. And then, you know, I was talking to my new agent about, you know, photos and putting together mood boards and stuff. And he was talking about uh, the longitude and latitude of the face. Like, you know, if you shoot up on someone, it's going to give them more of a high status position because they're looking down on the camera. If it's, you know, if you're looking up at the camera, it could be a little more supplicating, more like, you know, relatable. Do you factor that in when you're shooting? Occasionally, not generally too much um yeah not not generally too much i uh i i try to get all angles and i shoot right into the computer so we're getting instant feedback and seeing what's working and a lot of times i'll compare different sides of the face or i'll compare shadow on this side versus shadow on that side you know to see the symmetry and those kind of things um i generally you know part of the problem shooting up is you know What's a neck? My background. Yeah. And background wise, it's like, you know, I'm yeah. starting to see the ceiling and things like that. So I do try to find the most flattering angles or less flattering, depending on the character that they're going for. Like there are times where I'll create more extreme shadows yeah. or that don't necessarily make them as pretty, you know, for that, that for the makes reason of the sense character. Because yeah, you can create drama with shadows yeah. across the face um, horizontally, but headshots should be relatively neutral. So it's like kind of like this is you as a businessman. We could see you as a high status businessman or as like a relatable businessman. So you don't want to yeah. change their position in such a concrete Drastically. way. Yeah. yeah. So when people do come in and they say, I want this to really read like a bad guy, then yeah. I'm going to do more of what you said, which is, you know, how am I going to angle them? Where's the shadow going to yeah. be and that kind of thing to create more mood yeah. in the shot. And when we shot you, uh, you did a quick test to see which, which side was my good side yeah when i've never known which if i have a good side or not like i've never because you see you know on instagram or like back in the day facebook like girls always have their side that right. they, they know which yeah. is their oh, good yeah. side like like no no i have to stand on this side of you because i'm like what like, yeah and i was we did it and you were like it's that one which was not the side i thought it was going to be but i was basing it off which way my hair parts which is the only thing i could think to go off but i saw the difference immediately yeah and i'm what are you looking for when you do that? So that's the what and what you said is a very common thing. People tend to think it's like, oh, well, I have a dimple on this side and I don't like it or I don't, you know, I don't like or my hair part is a big one. Yeah. And honestly, it's the symmetry of the face. So, you know, from one angle, a lot of times like one eye will look bigger, one eye will look smaller and yep. then you turn the other way and the eyes are much more even. Right. And so it's those sort of things when it comes to symmetry because, you know, they say 
good looking people are very symmetrical, like yeah. you know, straight on. Very but isn't everyone straight. symmetrical? Aren't faces symmetrical? Some are definitely less than others. And really? it, it does make a difference. Um, so, so there are some people where I'll look at both sides of the face and it's like, it's really negligible. It's like, oh, you really look good from both sides and yeah. there's not a clear, clear winner. And then there's other people where it's like, oh, that's definitely the side. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know that one of my eyes sits lower than the other. Okay. So it makes sense that if you're at you know, a three quarter angle with the foreshortening, like one arrangement of those two eyes is going to make better sense. Based yeah, on because the one of them is going to be further away. And if yeah. the further away eye is already smaller, it's going to look even smaller. Yeah. So, so going the other it. way. Yeah, that's cool. What other little tricks do you have? Uh, well, like I said, with shadowing. So like, you know, if I, I shoot a lot of headshots kind of straight onto the light because headshots have always tended to be sort of blown out in the sense of like we're blowing out the shadows on the face you know this mm-hmm. is like really uh, nice even light across the face um, but as i've gotten later into my career i've I've started creating playing with more shadow to yeah. create a little more drama in the shots and it's just it's just that i'll put a shadow on one side of the face then take another shot put the shadow on the other side put them side by side and there's a clear difference in the symmetry of how the face is shaping how yeah. you're shaping the face with light yeah, and that, that's why I was drawn to your work and why I wanted to shoot with you is because a lot of headshots, especially commercial headshots with, you know, poppy backgrounds and like, you know, big cheesy smiles, it's almost like a ring light. It's like you are completely lit. Yeah, lit. And it's just like you look like a cartoon character almost. Yeah. And you have a little bit more mood and like editorialization to your photos, which is interesting because it just makes the photos more interesting, A, and B... I think you're capturing the angles better that like, you know, you're, you're not reducing someone to this like 2d image. You're giving them a little more depth and texture. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you, are you consciously trying to do that or is it just like interesting to you? The, well, there were definitely, it's definitely as I've progressed as a photographer, I definitely now more consciously, um, put those things into my work. Whereas earlier on, I was kind of more interested in the sort of, you know, straight on a lot of light, mm-hmm. you know, not, not really letting much shadow or detail in there. Um, and, and like, you know, like you said, you'll, you go through and, and you're selecting images that you want to like use on your website or whatever, and something stands out. Yeah. And the reason it stands out is probably because it's a little different in some way. So, you, you, you know, there's a thing in photography where it's a happy accident. You yeah. know, it's like, I didn't mean to get that, but mm-hmm. I got it and it looks good. So when you can learn from that and repeat it and go, oh, this is why, yeah, because I was at this angle and it created a shadow and now I'm going to do that on purpose. Yeah. So if you learn from your happy accidents, um, that's a good way to progress. Yeah. A lot of when I do test shoots with photographers and it's a little bit more modely lifestyle stuff or editorial high fashion stuff. It's like these in-between moments that are captured that really pop mm-hmm. where it's like I'm shifting from one post to another and kind of like, I don't, it's hard to describe, but like you're sort of moving through something. There's like a dynamic quality to it. Is that something that's applicable for headshots or do you want more like static? Let's get this pose, lock it in and then snap. I think with headshots, because you're trying to connect with the person's eyes, there's a certain amount of, you know. I want it to, I want it to be a certain way. Yeah. Um, but then really finding the right expression is uh, for me, I'm not the type of photographer to be like, really get someone in place. Okay. Hold that. You know, don't, don't move, move, move a millimeter this way. Like Mm -hmm. I don't do that. I'd rather 
both of us move around, both of us try things and then yeah. see what works yeah. later. And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, digital is you can yeah. not spray and pray, but like you can take a <laughs> lot of stills and you can get a lot of images. And if you're moving, you're both moving and dancing around each other, you're going to catch those happy accidents. Yeah, it's not it's not dumb luck. You know, it's no. like I, I have a method. I know that it's going to look good no matter what, because I've, you know, set it up and been doing it this way. Right. But within that, you know what's going to make one shot stand out from another i don't always know so mm -hmm. you know it's it's moving and trying it's play it's playing yeah and uh yeah and you're talking about expression so the theatrical expression has always kind of befuddled me because it's so close to like just deadpan neutral but mm -hmm. like it's almost like a little bit of smirk a little bit of like suspicion do, do you can you whittle it down to something or is it different for every person? I think it's, you know, it's the secret behind the eyes. Yeah. It's, I'm, I, I'm thinking something. I know something. I have a secret and, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to of, tell you. I'm holding it in a little yeah. bit, but it's, but you can see it at the surface just a little bit. Um, and I have a friend who's like a really successful actor. And I remember years ago him saying that he's like, I got this one shot from this guy. And, and the reason it works is because, you know, it looks like I, I have a secret behind my eyes and that yeah. shot got him in so many doors. Yeah. And so that's just a really important thing. You know, they, LA, there's a lot of beautiful people. It's not just about, you know, <laughs> yeah. having a square jaw and being beautiful. It's about, I've got something in my eyes yeah. that makes me interesting. Yeah. Um, Killian who comes up, comes up on almost every podcast commercial, yeah. you know, train, um, teacher or whatever you want to call him but he talks about when you go into a callback session be think he says you should always leave every callback and treat yourself to your favorite thing and like i always get ice cream after callbacks okay. because he's like if you're in the callback thinking about the ice cream shop you're going to go to what flavor you're going to order you have this like it's like a secret behind right. your eyes like i'm not in this room i'm getting ice cream and they're like what is going on with that guy like why does he have this glint you know and that it sets you apart you're not you're not hungry for the job. You're hungry for the ice cream. And you're like, that's pretty smart. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to, to, to go about it. Um, and that, how do you, is that how you convey it to someone who comes in here is th shooting theatrically? You're like, think of a secret. And like, um, sometimes I would do that. There's been plenty of times where I'll, I'll say, think of something you never told your parents about. And uh, that'll just, get a glimmer from yeah, a lot of people. Like you capture that. I just yeah. me thinking about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that I've definitely, used quite a bit yeah and i'll be honest there's times where we're just cheating a little bit where i'm like narrow the eyes all mm -hmm. right tiny little smirk just barely because it you know it it can also work to not i don't want to say not be genuine but you know you can cheat a little bit here and there because again there's people who kind of know how to trigger themselves emotionally like you know like we talked about earlier and yeah. there's people who don't and i have to be able to work with both yeah and so the people that don't where i'll be like all right, you know, think of something you never told your parents and that, and nothing, you know what I mean? Just like, they're just thinking because they're just thinking, yeah, they're like, not communicating huh. it. Um, so sometimes I just, I need to help people cheat a little bit. Yeah. Um, what, do you have any other prompts? Like, you know, think of something you never told your parents gives you that good kind of theatrical smirk. Do you have anything that maybe evokes like 
happiness or more sadness? Do you have uh, other I got ones? a couple bad jokes. The, yeah. uh, my makeup art- artists have heard ad nauseum and they roll their eyes as soon as I start the joke. But yeah, you're going to get that genuine like <laughs> laugh. Yeah, you know? exactly. And yeah. I know even though it's bad, I know the person's going to laugh. Yeah. More. And then yeah. and I'm going to get I'm going to get them while they're laughing. I'm going to get them while the laugh is, you know, fading. So I'm getting all those little nuances in between. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you know, communication, openness, um, being playful, you know, respecting you as a photographer, but also respecting yourself as an actor and then meeting in the middle is important to produce a good shoot. What are some things without, you don't have to bring up any specific examples, but like people come in and you're like, I just like, I, I can't get there with them. Like, what are the roadblocks that people bring into the studio? That's a great question. And it's people having a, you know, a set how they think they want to look. And they're just not willing to, they're not willing to play. They're not willing to smirk. They're not really willing to smile. Like mm-hmm. I've just had shoots where, you know, it's one guy Zoolandering the whole time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we, we got just, it. We've done like, this in four shirts now. And, yeah. you know, you're not giving me anything, you know, but it's just, they think that if I just look intense and handsome, mm-hmm. that's, that's all I need. Yeah. And look, I, I was the same way as a young actor. Me when too. I, when I yeah. Here. yeah. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And then is there stuff with uh, like maybe wardrobe options where people bring it in and you're like, oh, that's not going to work? Yeah, I have. And that's not most of the time, but there's definitely times where it's like someone brings in three wrinkled shirts and I'm like, really? You know, yeah, like, maybe one wrinkled shirt for a certain look. but Right, but yeah. it's just like, like, you know, I've had people come in like their clothes are in a Ralph's bag and it's like you just pulled these off of your floor, yeah. threw them in a bag and came over here. Yeah. You gave it hardly any thought. And so it's like, you know, but in look, you're, you're taking the lead. So you're like you're letting the photographer know how much time you've put into this, how important this is to you. Yeah. You know, and it's like I'm not saying that I'm going to only give what you give, but it's like, you, you know, if you're not putting in the time and effort. I don't know how much you want me to really, I'm like, like I'm going to fi- do I'm my gonna best, fix you. Yeah. but yeah, but I can't like, I can't go to the store with you and go pick this, pick this, but you do have know. a steamer for them. If do have a steamer. Like, yes, might so. highly recommend a steamer. <laughs> um, are there any clothing options that are just like photographically nose, you know, like p- pattern stuff like that? Uh, I mean, there are some things that'll create like a moray where it does on the eyes, but for the most part, no. Yeah. Is there anything that, always works like the evergreen stuff there are certain classic things like girls or even guys in a denim jacket like denim jackets work really well a lot of people shoot the leather jacket look for the edgy thing you know girls with just basic tank tops is usually a good thing for but again for certain types of looks Mm -hmm. uh, not for everything um denim jacket i mean it's like that classic sort of like gap like neutral, like very minimalist. It's just not going to go out of style. The style yeah. of the jackets might change. You know, girls come in now with these huge denim jackets. That's like you know, oh, yeah. the shoulders down, uh, halfway right. down their arm. We're back and, to like the '90s mom jeans kind of look. Yeah, yeah. What about stuff that people have brought in that you're like, huh? And then it's surprisingly effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's yeah people who come in with like you know hipster type looks because that's a popular yeah, type of look looking sure. like a the silver, silver lake, lake hipster type. exactly yeah. um but i actually in, enjoy i've got no point where i really enjoy those because it's different you know it's like you're expressing mm-hmm. something's different it's not just a traditional you know shirt and overalls like i've seen a million times or yeah. whatever it's yeah and how do you keep things creatively interesting for yourself because you know you have 15 clients a week and mm-hmm. it's 
there's only X number of categories and X number of types and, you know, this and that. How do you keep it from getting monotonous where you're not necessarily bringing your best self to every shoot? Like, how do you stay fresh? Right. Well, and there is a certain level of monotony to, to what I do. Um, I think for me, because I enjoy lighting so much and I enjoy like, what can I do different with the backgrounds and yeah. how can I light this? How, how can I light this background in a way that I never have before and make it look like I'm in a different place? Yeah. Um, so that's for me. And it, I like to go sort of salvage yard hunting and finding new things i use like you know rusted doors and things like that yeah. just to create a different, different look patinas and textures yeah exactly That's so cool. yeah and i mean because it it is sort of unlimited in the backdrops you could set up you know you could make something that's totally flat you could make something that has tons of depth and like you know foreground middle ground background kind mm -hmm. of thing um i mean photography is endlessly there's endless options sure um it's also as I was saying, endlessly expensive and you have a lot of gear in here. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself like having to restrain the purchasing of new it's, stuff? I've got no point. I hardly ever buy gear at all. I, I had taken over a studio in Hollywood that was a sound stage. And when I moved in there, I, I kind of bought their business. So I bought all the gear and I was renting it out as a sound stage for a while. Yeah. So I bought all their grip equipment, C stands, you know, flags and scrims and all these kind of things. So I haven't had to buy any of that kind of stuff for years. So at the, I'm at a point where it's like the only thing I have to replace are my flash units mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, head flash heads and, and my camera bodies and stuff. I've yeah. used the same two lenses for 10 years. What lenses do you use? I use an 85 millimeter. I think it's a F 1.2. The prime? And then a, is that, what's that, that? Is that a prime? It's like 85? Yeah, it's a prime. Yeah. And then I have a 105. It's a 105 millimeter macro. Uh, I'm a Nikon shooter. Um, so those are my two. And I, I really use the 105 the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What effect does, does that give you? So a longer lens gives you more depth of field typically. Right. And it's, it's a zoom lens. So it's tighter in on the actor. Yeah. So it's, it's more, you know, body. And it gives you a little distance physically from the actor when you're shooting it. It creates so like if I'm if I'm shooting you at this distance yeah. on a 105, the background behind you is going to be more out of focus than if I'm on an 85. It's a little wider, yeah. so I'm seeing more background, and that background is going to be slightly sharper. Yeah. Um, so I like the 105 because it's just more portrait. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more about the person, and the background's less important. Yeah, because what is it? The a 50 millimeter is the human eye, or yeah, and then it's the closest to yeah. how we see. Yeah, and then 35 is like wide, wide. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah. I guess that's kind of the standard for point and shoot, or it was 35 millimeter. Um, what body do you shoot on? Uh, I'm a Nikon, so I have a, I happen to have a couple of D810s at the moment. Yeah, I used to buy top of the line, like the D3 when they used to make them. Um, but it's just I just burn through, you know, I'm just so many rotations that I'm shooting. So yeah. it's like it's a ton of images. I, and, and not only that, like nowadays, camera bodies and pixels, it's like they're all pretty good it's yeah. really lenses are more important so yeah um and then one thing that's really helpful for me when i'm shooting is seeing the monitor because yeah. i can adjust in real time you know as you adjust in real time because you're seeing through the viewfinder what i'm seeing on the monitor which is you know what when the photographer has the camera hooked up to a computer so i'm seeing each image roll in you know full size and i because i've been around the block i know oh i need to shift a little bit this way or that or you know my my expressions a little stale do you find that some people 
benefit from the monitor. Some people don't want to see it. There's a few that don't want to see it. For the most part, people really appreciate it yeah. because they're getting instant feedback. Before I used to shoot tethered into the monitor, you know, you would show them on the back of the screen and it's small and you're kind of squinting and they're like, okay, yeah. I think that looks good. And then they get home and they're seeing them on a computer and then you're hearing back from them like, oh, I didn't right. like my makeup. I couldn't really see it and so, things like that. So, you know, one of the reasons I shoot tethered is to to just sort of like get all the possible problems out of the way. Yeah. Make sure you're liking what you see. Uh, it's, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I find that really helpful even on set. You know, there's usually Video Village if it's commercial or they might have a monitor if they're shooting print and they're not thinking about you necessarily. They're getting what they need. But like asking to see the monitor is can be so helpful Yeah. because I mean, as simple as like I might my head not might, might not even be in frame. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about my face, right. which makes my job easier. And also like I can see the composition they're going for. I don't know what lens they're on. I don't know how much is in frame. And then I can change my body positioning to to suit what I think the photographer is going for and then we sort of will find those happy accidents and i'm not trying to force my artistic direction upon it but it's really helpful if you find if you find, think it's appropriate to say like hey can i just take a peek at what you guys are doing or like look around the back of the camera even yeah. because photographers will more often than not be happy to show you because they know that it informs what you're doing exactly, in front of the camera yeah. um yeah i was really resistant to shooting tethered at first but once i started doing it I was like, oh, this is this is the way to go. Yeah. You know, and uh, now the only downside is I feel like I can't quite move around or I can't be like, oh, let's go shoot over here. I'll open the door and we'll shoot yeah. here. You know, things like that. But the benefits outweigh the negatives for me. Yeah. And then just on the business end of things, like, so what's your workflow for a shoot? Yeah. Like I book with you three shot, three look session, yeah. two hours or whatever it's going to be. I come in, we cycle through the different looks, different backgrounds. They're all tethered to your computer. Then what happens? Uh, yeah, so I shoot into Capture One. Yep. And when I do, I, I start out with a couple test shots and then I adjust the the contrast and the color and, you know, those kind of things just to kind of get it where I think it should generally be. Yeah. Um, and then subsequently every shot that comes in will apply, you know, the adjustments that I've given it. And then, uh, I'm, I go through, I get kind of get rid of all the blinkers, you know, while you're changing into your next look, Yeah, I'm saving them, uh, as high res images. And I personally start uploading to Dropbox while we're shooting. So oh, I'm right. uploading them into Dropbox. Yeah. I got them super fast from you. It was great. Yeah. And then, and then I also save the entire batch at the end as a, in low resolution because I give the clients both high and low resolution. Yeah. Um, and I, I upload them to Dropbox. They also get a Pixie set online gallery, you yep. know, so that you can share that with other people. Yeah. Cause Daniel Hoff sent me to you. I know you're one of his go-to guys. And, um, I was kind of on the fence about whether I should use makeup or not yeah. because on set, I don't, they don't give me a ton of makeup. They might like pat me down cause I get a little shiny and they'll put something under my eyes, but it's like, I'm like, dude, like how, yeah. you know, what's the difference? And you had said that actually the makeup helps that you don't need as many retouches, um, and I don't think we did any retouches for my shoots or my shots. And, um, do you find that's helpful? Like, I think it depends. I think that I've, when I first started, I really wanted all guys to have makeup and yeah. I've really eased up on that. Um, Daniel personally prefers his clients to have makeup so that he feels like you don't have to retouch. He selects a lot of images and he wants to like move with them as opposed right. to sending them back to you for color correction and retouching. Yeah. And then when you do do retouching, what are you focusing on? Because I've played around with some of my own headshots that either I've shot myself or old ones. And like, 
sometimes you start making adjustments you pull back and like whoa i did way too much yeah yeah, yeah. um so blemish removal obviously flyaway hairs veins in the eyes those yeah. kind of things whitening the eyes and things uh the biggest thing that i've been doing lately retouching wise is really dodging and burning to even out the skin tone yeah um to sort of you know marry the 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 highlights and the darks a little more even and neutral mm-hmm. um so there's just less disparity between uh, the yeah. highlights and the and the you do it in photoshop or yeah yeah um photoshop i took a photoshop class in high school and then i did this photography school in costa rica during college which was a scam i pulled over on my parents oh, but it's actually like the best the most useful tool in my professional because like, i've done graphic design and website design and like, having a cursory knowledge of photoshop goes such a long way it's great yeah. whether it's you know graphic design just you know illustration type stuff or photo retouching you can make an okay photo really pop for sure yeah and a lot of it's just whitening up the eyes a little bit balancing the skin tones and then like you kind of you want to remove some blemishes but you know i have scars and stuff that aren't going away so you don't want to photoshop those out yeah and uh i have a buddy who's in the corporate world and he they photoshopped out his chest hair oh no he looked like a barb like they did it so uniformly he just looked like a ken doll from the like the neck down so there's there's a line in the sand there's definitely a line yeah i mean i yeah it it can get pretty ugly um and then so yeah you just adjust the contrast a little bit balance the tones but other than that i'll I'll apply some small filters but i'll like if i apply a filter in photoshop i'll take the opacity really down just to give it a hint of yeah look. because Less you know more. not well and especially it's like if it was fashion or if it was you know a creative portrait i would you know maybe go a little further with that but because it's a headshot i want it to be clean i don't want it to look too yeah, manipulated right yeah. and then how do you feel about when people share your photos they slap a filter on there on instagram does that bother you it bothers me if they didn't do it well yeah uh, i can always i can always tell when someone has applied a filter uh it can bother me. Again, I'm easygoing, so I'm not going to like say anything to them. But yeah, um, because it's representing your work. Like, yeah, new shot with David Muller, and it's like, Oof. Yeah. <laughs> David didn't do that to the shot. That's Oslo, like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Are you are you big Instagram guy? I know you had an Instagram fiasco. I had a fiasco. Where I got hacked recently. Um, I you know I do more on my personal account. I have someone who helps me run my photography account. Yeah. So. Uh, I have kind of minimal hands-on with that. That's a good way to be. I pick all of the images that I want to use, you know, and I'll help with the captions and things like that. Yeah. Um, Um, What you got? So you got hijacked. Yeah. So I it was Monday morning. I'm going through my emails, trying to sort of get them done quick because I had a client getting ready to come in. Yeah. And I had this one email that looked like it was from Instagram and it says you're under copyright infringement. And as a photographer, the first thing you're thinking is, oh, it's someone like complained that I posted their photo. Yeah. And so I, I clicked a button and it showed me an image that we had posted, you know, like a few days prior. And it said, click here to dispute. Oh, and shit. I clicked it. And then all of a sudden I'm just on this page of like Turkish Oh no! Writing, and that was my, like, that's what I got you to click. My, the yeah, link. my social girl was like, I can't log into our Instagram. We're locked out. I get an email that says, I have your Instagram. Uh, message me on WhatsApp. You can buy it back. 
which I didn't even reach out to them. I'm like, yeah, you know, good for you. F off. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, and I have no reason to believe that if I paid them that they would give it back anyway. Right. So we, we literally me- messaged Instagram daily. To, it, we would just get automated responses. It was super frustrating. Yeah. Like, just feel like you're spinning your wheels getting nowhere. I ended up, someone reached out to me and said, hey, this guy helped my friend get hers back. And he was a, yeah. a hacker from India. And he got it back in like four days. Really? Yeah. Did you have a big following on there? Because I, I have nineteen. Yeah. I had like nineteen point three. That's sizable. Thousand followers. I guess they're just targeting big accounts who they think they're would... targeting anyone with like fifteen thousand or more. Because you would go, you if you looked up the name, they changed the name, and, the, and they even said on in the bio they changed the bio yeah. to this account is being held to be sold back to its owner. It was just blatant as can be. And they had they had about fifty different accounts that that they had and I taken guess some over. people will pony up. They'll just be like I. They I must. need my social fix. You and know? I don't know if they get it back or not, but that's scary. I mean, I, I've gotten so many emails that look like one thing. And so then I'm like, wait, 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 don't click. You have anything. to check the address yeah. that I came from. And the yeah. address is always sketchy. Well, it's a, it's gotta be Instagram.com or don't do anything. Yeah. yeah. That's good on you for holding out and getting it back. Yeah. Was it expensive that. to hire the hacker? Uh, it cost me a thousand bucks. That's not too bad. All things bad. considered. Yeah. What did the, what did the terrorist want? They didn't, I didn't ask. Yeah. So I, we had read an article of the same thing that happened to another photographer in a different part of the country and they had quoted her 600. She apparently got them down to 400, but we couldn't find out from her. We reached out to say like, did you actually pay or how did you yeah. get back? And we didn't find out. Yeah. So. I was, I got an email that was, they're like, we have photos of you, <laughs> uh, deposit this much Bitcoin in this account or we'll release them. And I was yeah. like going through my mind, I was like, there's no photos out there I care about. Like, go ahead, like, yeah. <laughs> release them. I don't know what they are, they're but I'm fishing. They're yeah. not worth my Bitcoin because, yeah, you know, people are sending nudes or whatever, and they're like, oh shit, they got them. There's so many scams, and it's such a moving target where yeah. you got to be so careful with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to take up all your time, but as we wind up, I'm curious what advice you'd give to the next person who walks through your door to a, to ha- to ensure the most seamless shoot possible. What are the c- few things you tell them? Um, preparation is key. Yeah. And that means wardrobe. That means knowing, you know, specifically the sort of types that you want to come in for. Yeah. And then, um, it's good to have some people come in and they're like, I, you know, they'll show me pictures of my work. They, I do like these backgrounds. I don't like that. That's totally great. Um, and then besides that sort of let go, lower your expectations in terms, not in terms of having good shots or not good shots, lower your expectations in the sense of, wanting to your shots to come out a very specific way because generally you're not going to match that expectation. And I have a really cool story about that. When I was a young actor, I shot, there was a guy who was like digital was brand new and he was like, I'll shoot for free. Just testing digital. Mm -hmm. And we got this one amazing shot of me that I loved. And you know, of course it was like, not good enough. Let's do it. Let's just do that again. Let's get that again. We'll yeah. try for that again. And we tried and tried and tried and could not get that shot again. And it's like, if I couldn't get that shot again, 10 minutes later with the same photographer and the same lighting and the same wardrobe, that really told me something about expectations. And it's yeah. like, you know, let go, have fun, move around, try, try things. The best shoots I have are really when people are willing to play mm-hmm. and they're, you know, willing to look like a, an ass to some degree um because you know you're not going to use every shot that you take 
but those nuances in between, like you were saying with the editorial type shoots, yeah. you know, those little in-between moments, yeah. that's where the magic happens. Right. So you just have to be willing to let go and play. So that's my advice. Be prepared, but then let go. And it's kind of the same that you would advise for actors. You it's know? very actually advice because the best auditions I have, well, the ones that I book the most are the ones where I'm like, that did not go how I expected. Right. Yeah. But it went the way it was supposed to go. It, yeah. it was it was how they expected to go, how I expected to go, and it met in the middle. Yeah. And it may have been like a little weird for me, but... The ones where I'm like, I nailed it. It's like, you probably forced your opinion upon them so much that they're like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't get even a call back. So that's great advice. I think, you know, being prepared and then not, you know, loosening your expectations is yeah. huge. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to share a bunch of images with this podcast. It'll come out on Thursday. Fantastic. Thanksgiving. Look forward to it. Hey. Thanksgiving episode. Look at that. All right, man. Thanks again. All right. My pleasure. Thank Bye. you. Bye, kids. Bye.